back to Love Davis Watch, your favourite pop culture entertainment podcast. I am whipping my head around <laughs> just because like, whoa. Yeah, so we have this week we're going to discuss a, uh, well, two what I would call iconic uh, you know, pieces of pop culture. One of them older and one of them newer. Newer and fresh and fat. Exactly. Yeah. That, a hint. Uh, that is a hint. So we're going to talk about Phantom of the Opera. Which we saw recently. The Andrew Lloyd Webber musical that has wowed audiences in the West End since the 1980s years, um, and remains like a, you know, a classic musical. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about Queer Eye, the Fab Five of Queer Eye. We're talking everything about it. We're talking about male <laughs> sensitivity and toxic masculinity, and also which of the we're not we're not rating the Fab Five because we would never do that. But it's more that talk we're going to talk about them individually. Yeah. Anthony avocados, etc. Yeah. So there's a lot to look forward to. Um, so we think we'll seek. <laughs> to stop using yeah, seek. I, the in joke about seek is that. Like, I thought that segue, as in, like, we're going to segue into something, yeah. was spelt like segue, like the thing that, you know, you write. Yeah, the segue. And, and that's me, embarrassingly, as, like, an English literature graduate and a journalist. I thought that. <laughs> but it was just one of the things I don't think I'd ever... And it's spelled Sieg. Yeah, and she was like, Sieg? And I was like, Sieg? Well, actually, I did it today. I wrote titular in one of my work items, being, like, the titular song of Beauty and the Beast, Evermore. I was talking about the Beauty and the Beast live. And my boss turned to me and was like titular but it's called evermore and i was like yeah doesn't it just mean main he was like hell that titular means like the title like what the yeah, and yeah. he was like if it was a titular song it'd be called beauty and the beast and i was like whoopsie no, but it's oh. weird how like these like kind of crucial things sometimes just pass you by like a titular i just kind of meant like iconic but i couldn't like iconic that sounds too like iconic Titular just sounded like it worked to me in my head. I didn't even think that. I didn't even think to think what the actual like. But you know that eponymous means the. It means the same thing. It also means like so. Jane Eyre is like the eponymous heroine because it's named after her. God, words are so difficult. I did know about eponymous though. I remember thinking eponymous, thinking nah, it's not it. Titular is the right one. It's not. Oh, that's too funny. Anyway, on that note, (laughs) that's so funny. (laughs) Sure it is. Uh, we're gonna don't want to make some too dumb so we are. <laughs> we're gonna move straight and quickly on to talking about Seek. phantom of the opera and the titular eponymous phantom yeah of the opera yeah <laughs> So, we're going to jump in to a show which Francesca saw for the first time uh, about three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, West End classic, Phantom of the Opera. So it's like 35th year or something like yeah, that Yeah, it's, it's a staple of the West End and of Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, hasn't mm-hmm. left either of them since it first um, opened. opened in the 80s. Um, yeah, and it's obviously, if you don't know, it's one of the most classic Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals out there, written... You know, it's it, there's a novel it's based on called The Phantom of the Opera, right? Yeah, which is a, a French novel, which I don't think is like hugely well known. No, um, and it's interesting because I looked up, I looked it up after we'd seen yeah. it, and looked up the plot, and the the plot is fairly accurate to The Phantom of the Opera, like the the, the show, basic yeah. I mean. Um, but I think Andrew Lloyd Webber was looking for 
apparently he wanted to engage in his romantic side when he wrote it. I think the, the Phantom is one of those things that, like, it's very obvious that he put a lot of himself into it when I he started he writing he's it. The Phantom, like, he's is, the monster. Which is honestly disturbing. Yeah, like, no. Right? And then, think that he's no, that character. Yeah. <laughs> and his first leading lady, Sarah Brightman, was a woman that he'd been in love with yeah, for years. Yeah. So this relation, this weird, very toxic Quite relationship. Meta. So Andrew Webber saw a lot of himself in the show. And, and it's, it's very different from, I mean, he's like somebody who I think has done a very, has a very diverse range of shows. But it's like very yeah. different from like Joseph or Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ Superstar, Christ. both of which were a bit earlier. Um, and I feel like he's tried to recreate this kind of gothic romance since. Mm. Like I, so I saw The Woman in White, which is his show. Oh, His of production of the Wilkie Collins. Oh, he Collins does it. Oh, I'll take a sip. Yeah. And it's, it was really enjoyable. But I, I did read a review afterwards that said that it's um, it's like very phantom esque in terms of the, the not just the uh, the way it's staged like mm. the kind of gothic leanings but also the uh, the songs oh. like so there's quite a few moments where you're like oh they're about to sing the music of the night and then they sing something else <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway I, that was never quite as successful but yeah I mean he's a he's a big name uh, and I think the great thing about this is for me. I have watched it. I watched it for the first time. I think I was about thirteen or fourteen. I was quite yeah. young. I actually might have been. I think I might have been year seven actually. So like twelve. Um, and then I've watched it uh, twice. This was my third time seeing it mm. uh, on stage. I've also watched it multiple times. They have a recording of it for the twenty fifth anniversary yeah. performance, which stars two of my favorite Broadway people ever, Raman Karamlu and Sarah Borges as the Phantom Christine. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So for me, it was very much like I'm going back to a classic that I enjoy and that I really like, but I forget that actually other people have never seen it or really heard the music and. Um, which is fact, my Emily came with us and she has heard the music, but I don't know if you've you really heard well, much of it. Yeah, because I had I obviously knew the the famous songs. Yeah. Um, and was very familiar with the iconography and the, the mask yeah, and the hair. And you know, I'm a big fan of musicals and used to always watch those Andrew Lloyd Webber shows where he would cast people. <laughs> but he never casted the, the Casa Phantom, did he? Yeah. So he was always casting like Joseph or Nancy. And, yeah. So I was, you know, but I've never never gravitated towards it in terms of, I guess the songs that I had heard, I was never like completely in love with in the way that other musicals, I, when I, where I heard the where I heard the songs before I'd seen it, I yeah. was like, oh my gosh, I need to see this. Yeah, so yeah. like with Lame or something like that. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so that was what, but I was excited to see it and I, it wasn't that I didn't like the music, it was more just that it didn't yeah. immediately resonate with me and yeah. made me desperate to go see it. It was going in, yeah, they were, they were going in with the true kind of element of surprise in that I think Emily didn't wholly know what the plot was. Emily just knew the songs really, really well and you don't know the plot yeah. really either. So it was the, the best, one of the best things for me was, I, I love it anyway and I think the staging and the songs and the whole atmosphere of the musical really does, for me, stand the test of time. It doesn't really seem hackneyed mm. uh, after... 10 12 years of knowing the whole thing back to front but it was really interesting as well to see you guys seeing it for the first time yeah as a fresh musical for you that isn't is a classic but isn't a classic in your lives because you don't have it yeah it. yeah completely like i i it's interesting because i don't think i have had that experience with any other classic musical because i any other musical you just feel that, like you've known it for ages of that, of that ilk yeah i feel like i was very familiar with the soundtrack i mean i used to have those like the best of musical CDs and things like that, like as a, yeah, as, a as a child. So, yeah, but that was just not one that I ever really listened to. So, yeah, I've never really had that experience before with something that's like hugely, hugely well known mm. and really classic, as opposed to like you know going to see something like Hamilton for the first time, which like, I am going to see in June, oh. where like it's newer, so it's like makes sense that I haven't seen it, you know. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so one one thing that really stood out to me was the plot is absolutely <laughs> it's off the wall. It's crazy. And I knew the Phantom. So my image of it was I knew it was like a romance. Yeah. I knew that Andrew Lloyd Webber had written it for Sarah Brightman, like you said. And I like knew the songs are very romantic um, in you know both senses of the word. Mm. But he's like a murderer. He's like a crazy man. But like, I thought you summed it up really well. Uh, I don't know if it was in the interval afterwards where you were like, the Phantom has to be like totally, completely crazy, but also very sexy. And I was like, yeah, I feel like that's kind of the vibe, which that's is a weird vibe. About, yeah. But like, you have to kind of like tune into that because mm. I kept thinking that like when, you know, he had sort of kidnapped Christine, etc., that he was then going to say look I'm actually like a really like, decent guy um, you know I, I like I'm really misunderstood like like the hunchback of Notre Dame like, or Beauty and the Beast yeah those were the two obviously like things that are kind of similar yeah. like totally yeah, similar. that's very really true uh, or certainly in terms of like the concept yeah and men like, trapped in towers dark yeah, places yeah. tortured souls yeah yeah and then like kind of having this relationship with a young girl that sort of heals them yeah but that's Indeed. not really what happened in the <laughs> opera at all like, no. uh, so yeah that was like quite mad but i enjoyed the craziness like i thought that was fun yeah for me honestly the plot just seems so normal now because like i i've known the show for so long i feel like i'm just like yeah of course this will happen yeah so, you don't just take it for granted yeah, yeah there are certain bits in it um you know when like uh when he uh, so he kind of takes his revenge for things that go wrong that he's unhappy with so like at mm. one point like somebody gets hanged and during an opera, they try and, like, disobey his commands. Um, he nearly brings the chandelier down on them, and Christine runs away and comes back, and then he throws the chandelier down on them properly, and then six months later, and you're like, okay, and then he comes back, and it's like, sing my opera! And then, like, he appears in a cloak also, during the opera, and, like, for me, I'm, like, really used to all of this. Yeah. But now I think about it, and I saw you guys talking about it, I was like, yeah, it just keeps going on, doesn't it? And it is supernatural too, which I think uh, I also thought it was going to be like revealed that it's not it, explained. Yeah, yeah, but like there's you know she sees him in a mirror and then like walks through the mirror mm. with him. Yeah, and like you know it's, look, that's an example of like many many examples where there's like really amazing stagecraft. Yeah, the own. stagecraft is actually it's, yeah, like really you said, good. it definitely stands the, the test of time. Uh, but I was like, oh, it's it's all going to be kind of explained as like trickery, but it isn't really explained. Like, and it is kind of like you have to just take it with a pinch of salt. Yeah, like, I mean, he has this magical lasso, which is obviously uh, a moniker for the um, for the how he hangs yeah. people. Yeah, and then it appears on stage when he hangs Raoul near the end, um, and it, you can see it's attached by like a bit of like invisible wire yeah. to you know into the heavens. But technically, it's meant to look as if it's just come out of nowhere, yeah. and it's just like a weird noose that hangs people, and you're like. Ah. And then he disappears at the end in a very like woo way, yeah. and it's like great stagecraft. All makes sense if you think about the way it was meant to, what's meant to symbolise. You're like, can the Phantom do magic? Is he a wizard? Yeah, who is he? That's kind of that's that's what's sort of quite odd about it in some in some senses. I mean, I think that you're not supposed to analyse it to this degree, a hundred percent. Oh you're no, supposed, you're, you're meant to just be like just crying. Go with it, yeah. yeah. Which like I did in the, in the moment, but it was like afterwards because I was then like, oh, where did Andrew Lloyd Webber get this mad idea from? And then I was like realising it was this book, and and it is very just very gothic, a hundred percent. But it's interesting how it it. I had this idea in my mind that they were going to reveal various things yeah. as being, oh, you know, well, it's not quite what you think. And yeah. they don't. Like, you just, it's fully, like... Yeah. And I think, what's interesting, so we can, we can, we can go into a kind of, like, Jonathan versus Steve conversation. Oh, yeah, <laughs> 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 So, essentially, 
it, there, you know, there are some great blogs and Twitter things you can follow online that are like very into the Phantom. They don't care. You know, Love Never Dies, the sequel. I say that in air quotes because Android Weber likes to say it's not really a sequel, it's just a reimagining of what happens. Yeah. The Phantom the is much more sympathetic and Raoul's much more like nasty. But equally in this show, it is meant to be that the Phantom is stark raving bonkers and is not a great guy. And he's also deformed which is an extra layer of like sympathy added to him, which also is weird, somehow is weirdly addressed sometimes. And then Raul, who's like the classic, handsome, lovely guy. And Christine's not, not really torn between them, actually. But the reaction to the two of them would suggest that people see themselves on one side or the other. Like, yeah. who is the true romantic I mean, hero? Because, I think because Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote it for his love interest at the time, which is, how, which is the main thing I knew about it, I always thought, like, oh, yeah, so it's a love story between the Phantom and Christine. But it's really not, because he kidnaps her against her will. Uh She seems to be kind of entranced by him. Mm. But then if you think that he's actually got some kind of magical power, then it could be that that's what's Yeah, like, he sings to her in her head, and she thinks... And it is a great metaphor, I think, for her own innocence and her naivety, that she thinks that, like, this angel of music so the phantom has come to look after her and to protect her, now her father's dead. And then it becomes, like, a very toxic relationship in which she's bound to him in a way she doesn't want when then he mm. lets her go in the end etc and it's like actually that's all very interesting but it is a bit confusing when you think about who the phantom really is and what powers he does or doesn't have yeah so he, he you know in he doesn't really stand up to the me too movement you know like he's oh, no. he's, he's very uh in some ways predator predator predatory well, especially Why because he has like white hair so he may or may not be very old too yeah. When they pull off his Yeah, piece. it's true. I mean, I think, yeah, he's sort of got that, like, he's kind of pursuing this young girl and taking her against her will and then, you know, murdering anyone who disagrees with him. So he's, he's not like a kind <laughs> Me. of... He's, he's not like your <laughs> traditional hero. Raoul is more of the traditional hero, but, but doesn't get as good as songs. Well, aside from... Um, All I Ask of You. All I Ask of You, yeah. Um, but even then, he doesn't have the like... And he's also not particularly great to Christine in some ways, if you look at it, because he no, kind of no. he calls her... He kind of says... You're, first he says oh you're make, not making this up but you're dreaming all of this and then when the phantoms prove real to him he doesn't want to really like fight him for Christine he wants to fight him so he can keep Christine and then forces Christine into the situation in which she has forced like make herself bait so in the end Christine's torn between these two people yeah. and really isn't given much independence of her own and also uh, you know in terms of seeing him when you see Raoul for the first time he's like oh Christine who I knew when I was young oh can't wait to get to know her again and then, like, two seconds later, oh, she's the love of my life. Mm. Which is a very, like, tr- I found that, like, a very, like, um, you know, familiar trope of, like, when a woman is torn between two men in a, like, theatrical sort of setting. Like, yeah. a theat- as in, like, it's it's a play within a play kind of thing. Like, it reminded me of, you know, like Moulin Rouge, but I felt very much like he was the Duke rather than... Ewan McGregor. Yeah. You know? Oh, like, well, the Phantom is so Ewan McGregor. You're so right. Yeah. So I, I kind of, and that's, so I was like, oh no, we're not supposed to, you know, really warm towards I Raul. don't like Raul much either. I find him a bit like, like not slimy. Kind of slimy But I, I didn't feel like Christine was in love with him because we never saw kind of a lot of them together yeah. independently of them like plotting against the Phantom. Yeah. So if you think about the way they couple everything up, I mean, that's the that's why I think Phantom's great in some ways, because it does subvert where you think it's going to go. Oh, definitely. And there is a sense of, like, you know, it, there is a sense of, like, the Phantom story isn't the one you should be supporting, but you kind of want to because he's such a tortured soul. Yeah, he's like that classic, like, 
anti-hero. Yeah. yeah. And because, anti-hero. and like you said, because he has the, he has this deformity, which you believe is why he kind of hides away. Yeah. And he feels like he isn't accepted by society. You know, you're, you're very sympathetic to him in yeah. lots of ways. Yeah, definitely. Especially since given the fact that his history would suggest he was, you know, caged up in a freak show. But here is where the, here, here is where the dilemma lies. You know, do you like Raul because he's not a murderer, even though he's a bit weird and slimy in my opinion, or do you like the Phantom? who is, like, definitely a murderer. Hella insane. But equally, is really fit, writes great music, and you kind of want Christine to be with him. I mean, I don't know. I think I would choose the Phantom. Actually, there are some different... If you look online and you fall down the hole of, like, you know, different stages of the Phantom of the Opera, different people playing the roles, there are people who, like, know every single person who's played it and know Mm. all the different combinations. And there are some where you see the Phantom of Christine play the ending part between play the kind of like separation between them at the end yeah yeah at the end of like christine being like really relieved and others like sierra borges and raman karamli who play it like christine feels she should go but she like christiara has christine turn back and look at him and he kind of like nods and is like i love you go and so there's interestingly how the relationship between them can be skewed as well by the way the actors actually yeah. do that last scene and that's interesting because yeah. so we saw um the current london cast we saw ben lewis oh play who, the I, who i love he, he was in the, the original australian staging of love never dies the one they filmed he's great I love yeah him. and he he was amazing like was really killer. charismatic he's had amazing. an incredible voice and then we we saw um kelly matheson in yeah. the role of christine that's her west end debut isn't yeah it? um she she was she was great she really great voice. too yeah um and then we saw jeremy taylor as raul um but i think in terms of how they played that last scene mm. she didn't turn around she yeah. didn't do that but she definitely kind of looked at him the whole time she was leaving yeah so i definitely got the vibe of like she kind of felt like there was unfinished business mm. in a sense mm-hmm. but she was also like pleased to leave that's yeah. the vibe i got no absolutely you know? so it is interesting how that plays into it as well so hence why there's this raging debate about who's sympathetic who's not who's the real hero of it who isn't and then you come down to it in the end and you're like who do you find the sexiest and i'm like I don't think anyone would say Raoul though because I don't think because actually so the actor playing him was quite like handsome you know yeah um, he's often is but he I realised he didn't really smile until the like the curtain call oh really and I, remember, I, I don't know if it was you or Emily or somebody was like oh he's actually quite fit you know like <laughs> it's probably you <laughs> <laughs> but like it was like you hadn't even really hadn't even really like fully registered that I don't think no um, yeah absolutely yeah it was like he doesn't have chance to be charismatic he's not charismatic he's kind of this alternate choice and mm. actually if I had to vote anything I think I'd vote team Christine I think she needs some time to find herself after this oh traumatic God, she, experience oh God, she does. of being so kidnapped right. by a crazy man and taken to this weird cellar <laughs> crazy... which also involves like some rowing down a river <laughs> yeah, <laughs> down a weird underground lake I mean oh, I love it like there it's so iconic in so many ways um and the relationship between phantom and christine i think is really great because it's like tragic kind of like um it's tragic it's toxic Mm. but it's also like artistic and romantic so it's got this like blend of the three where it's actually very compelling to me and i really enjoy the the drama so i i definitely found their scenes were my my favourite parts. And also when my other favourite part, I think, the most memorable. So we're talking about the stagecraft and how it's beautiful. It's like and it's it's it really makes use of the fact you're in a very beautiful old theatre to yeah. begin with. 
and the play is supposed to be set in a beautiful old theatre and they're mm. putting on this, op- or this opera, hence the name. Um, so there's quite a few moments where things that look as if they're actually part of the, of the real life theatre you're in mm. actually turn out to be part of the and stage. And they move around, yeah. And one particular moment it's is great. when the phantom like descends from the ceiling from this what looks like a piece of God, it's like an stage. angel like, yeah. like a ship's prow kind yeah of thing. which is at the center of the it's like the hangs, top of the hangs stage. in the middle of yeah. the stage yeah he like descends from it um and sings his little like refrain of all i ask of you yeah and basically sang it to me and helena and emily oh it was great he was like whoa like your faces and the great thing about that moment is every time i see it i forget and then i remember and i'm like Haha, it's great he literally stays on his hanging piece of set whilst christine mm. and raul Raul's sing thing. yeah um literally for 20 minutes mm. and then you don't see him and he just goes and everyone is like <gasps> yeah there was a lot of gasping and I, yeah. I do enjoy like a collective theatre experience where you're very aware of everybody kind of yeah. gasping and being involved um, so I really and I just thought they all those scenes were really great and I, I thought that uh, songs that they sing like All I Ask of You is so beautiful it is really beautiful um, so having gone from being like it wasn't that I ever didn't like the, the score but it, I hadn't it hadn't immediately resonated yeah. with me having gone from that to like listening to those songs like after after we'd finished watching it um I definitely found it very compelling in that sense but I still don't think it's my it's not my favorite musical I've ever seen um yeah, no but, but it's you know that's not me saying I don't like no, it it's but like, yeah it's not my favorite classic musical but I can see why it's been celebrated and yeah you know definitely. has got the reputation that it's got like mm. it's well deserved mm-hmm. like for me seeing it again made me realize that it hasn't aged badly at all it's aged very well and they've kept it the lion king has this problem i went to the lion king recently and it felt a bit hot lackluster oh, really? but i think the cast isn't really big enough they need more people on stage phantom meanwhile i think it feels kind of sprightly and interesting with the way they stage it the songs are still current and really beautifully sung because they have the best people on the mm. west end playing the roles and the actual like way in which the themes come through and the storytelling and the narrative i think it's actually i will give it to you know i don't think i remember has done many great things but i will say it phantom of the opera is definitely a, a, coup de, a masterpiece you know a coup de gras i think it's really interesting that they've been in the same theatre for so long yeah because if you compare it to Les Mis which is I think is the thing that it's most often compared to yeah. because that's the other really long running classic musical 1980s classic big big blockbuster musical that people like will go Love, see yeah. when they're in London or in New York um, that has like move stage and also had slightly different staging because so you know they have that circular set oh yeah have and, they stopped doing that now no I think they still do it but like they kind of play around with it ah. and uh, like have had a few different iterations sure so it's not that they've changed it drastically by any means but it's it's very fascinating that it's in the same theatre yeah for years absolutely and, and it was still a real there <laughs> <laughs> I mean you wouldn't know but you, I mean you wouldn't know if there was but yeah I love it I think I, I definitely as I wouldn't say it was my favourite I think it's my favourite staged musical. Okay. Um, not my favourite musical. My favourite musical, my favourite musical soundtrack is the Mary Poppins Cameron Mackintosh stage musical soundtrack, which is absolutely wonderful, amazing. Mm. Favourite musical's got to go to Sound of Music. So my, my, I think mine are probably the same. Yeah, and I would give it to Miss Saigon. Oh, for your favourite stage one or favourite musical overall? Probably both. Ooh, like, that's a good call. Like, I like because that. I, 
I think I love the score. Yeah. And I feel like it's so sweeping and romantic and mm. there's so much going on. Because mm-hmm. I also love Les Mis as a, a musical, but I think sometimes it depends as well. Like, And I think we're kind of bringing that to the table here. Your history with a show. Yeah, sure. And, you know, if you... Like, my first encounter with Les Mis was in, like, a school production. Yeah. And the same with, actually, quite a lot of musicals. Yeah, yeah. Um, which means that you always have an affection for it, but it's a bit different than sitting down and being, like, wowed by watching someone else yeah. do it. Yeah, and the Les Mis soundtrack doesn't translate so well on its own, I think, because it has some really iconic bits in it, but I think it's hard to sing for people who don't sing, which is what people like to do with musicals. Sing yeah, along. sing along, yeah. And, you know, that's one thing. It's very complex. There's a lot of speak singing in it, so it kind of feels like... Like like an opera in some ways, mm. but the Phantom doesn't like isn't so much like that because it has set pieces. No, the Phantom. Unlike Les Mis. I I think so. I wouldn't like listen to like when the chorus, the you know the the, the men who own the theatre are like singing to each other about like the Phantom and what are they going to do. <laughs> like, yeah. I wouldn't like listen to that like on the tube, you know. But like if I was, I would listen to All I Ask of You like independently, you know. Mm. And the same in um, in Miss Saigon. I mean, I feel like the the soundtrack like Les Mis tells a kind of operatic story if you want to listen to it that way mm. like what happens and you could listen to it and feel like you knew the story mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. but you could also listen to you know independent songs and get a lot out of it um but I've seen so many there's so many fantastic musicals in London and oh, yeah. it's very rare that you see something that you're actually like disappointed by I would yeah, say yeah I think I haven't been disappointed but I don't like to go I don't love to go and see wholly new debut musicals because I get worried about it like I saw I mean, I saw Anastasia. That was my one of my newest yeah. debut musicals I've actually ever seen on Broadway, and that was really good. I'm actually very interested in seeing we um, Harry. No, La- mm. Jamie. Jamie. Everything. Every, uh, um, every, everybody's talking about Jamie. Yeah, I, I want to see that. Um, yeah, me too. Actually, and the musical I saw recently that I absolutely loved was Kinky Boos. Oh, I do actually want to see yeah. that. Yeah, and and that was like really fun again like I knew no- nothing really about it yeah. like I just knew it was about some boots I didn't know it was set in the UK which it is boots. it's also yeah yeah well exactly um but it's, it's based on a movie and I've never seen the film oh, yeah. um and I went to see it with uh, my friend Izzy and we both just loved it and we had mm. such a good time it was such a feel-good musical which I know is such a cliche everyone's yeah. always like oh it's a feel-good musical but I genuinely felt, felt good, good. <laughs> yeah and I was really had a smile on my face the whole time we yeah. really loved it no there are so many there are so many out there honestly like I don't like listening to musical soundtracks where I've seen them but equally there's some musicals I will never see because they won't be staged here or they would never be staged again if you go deep into you know the iTunes sound musical soundtrack section there is so much stuff like I kind of want to see the like, the first five years as well, or I the last, the last five, five years, years yeah. Because that's Jason Morat Brown who composed your Hyrie really like, and there's a movie of that. I think, yeah, with Kendrick. Jeremy Renner and Jeremy no, that's Renner? not his name. Uh, I don't know. There's a guy called Jeremy something. He's like a Broadway. Oh uh, yeah, not Jeremy. Renner. <laughs> Jeremy, he can sing. So I think that's the great thing about musicals is there does seem to be something up for everyone. But for me, I would say like if you wanted to get a real taste of what the classic musical genre has always been about phantom would be the one for me yeah and i I think it's i don't think it's alienating either in that like i know some people say you're like going with your family and not all your family are really into musicals um it's not that yeah no i mean i maybe wouldn't pick it for that i would maybe pick something that was a uh, a matilda yeah something that's maybe more like university appealing but i equally think like you couldn't fail to be impressed by the staging. The costumes are also beautiful. Oh, yeah. it's, it's very... I loved the atmosphere and the and the general feel. Like, it's just know. hammy in the end. Like, if you love a good oh, hammy it's, musical, it's you're like, It's really yes. OTT. And yeah. I, like, really enjoyed the kind of, like, 
uh, melodrama. Yeah. Like, I liked that it didn't take itself very seriously. No, it, it doesn't. It's just like this manic tale. It's, like. it's honestly, it's just like, you go in, you have a great time for me, you just go in, it's like, you know, like the colour, you know, like a deep, rich red colour that's like really bougie and like whiny. It's like, that's what the phantom is in my head. And you should also have some bougie red wine while you You should definitely do that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so overall, Francesca, I feel enjoyed it. I enjoyed seeing it as ever. Um, if you're going to if you're going to try and watch this um, not on stage uh, in real life, and you want to watch it on your TV. Do not, I repeat, do not watch the Emmy Rossum and Gerald Butler movie version. Mm. Just don't do it. Like literally, do not. It's like it's a, they, they slaughter it. You want to watch the 25th anniversary one that they filmed in the Albert Hall. That's the one you want to like ease into. Yeah. If you can't watch it or you can't access London or Broadway. Yeah. It's also definitely touring. Well, it's one of those that probably tours a lot. Be touring. But yeah, I think those 25th anniversary uh, shows are always I a good love introduction. Those. Yeah. yeah, they did one. They'll do one for Miss Saigon soon. They or did they already do? They did one for Miss. We the, yeah we the filmed version. We went we to see it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's oh Miss Saigon's great, isn't it? So yeah, that was that. Yeah. So uh, well, we always we're always going to see things in the theatre. So if you liked our little detour into our thoughts on a classic musical let us know and we could definitely do this again yeah um, and yeah and you can look at our Twitters if you're interested in any any thoughts on this kind of thing I'm pretty sure my my pinned tweet on my page is a phantom <laughs> quote I, I, I tweeted it like halfway through being like you will curse anyway no let's move on <laughs> <laughs> With kind of chatting about, well, we're actually, we actually have left this off for a couple of weeks because we didn't want to overload you, but we did want to talk about Queer Eye quite a lot. Yeah, so you, as you may remember, I mentioned this like, probably it was like a month or so ago yeah, now. Yeah, two or three podcasts. Yeah, um, and it was the new Netflix reboot of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, the makeover reality show that was quite popular in the noughties mm. and has now been revolutionised as this really exciting kind of examining of what it means to be well kind of what it means to be a man in our society in, a, which, you know, in, 20, in the 20 teens yeah and what it means to kind of have expectations upon you I really enjoy seeing a bunch of guys look cute which they all do um, and examine their motivations and their emotions and basically just become because I feel like as a woman I have so much emotional support in the media you see so many women having a great time together you know little women Jane Austen all that kind of thing I live in a family of girls, I have loads of great girlfriends, and then, you know, you do hear quite a lot of stories about guys feeling unable to open up and toxic masculinity. So yeah. seeing a show tackle this in a fun and engaging and, you know, interesting way that actually doesn't stereotype anybody or make any grand sweeping statements aside from be nice to people is just like, Yeah, love it. and I think that's it. It's like, it really does examine the idea of toxic masculinity and how, you know, men might feel as though they can't they can't talk about things that are bothering them. So in in the in the uh, show, you've got these five amazing the guys. Fab five. Who are known as the Fab Five. They <laughs> were all fab. Who were all um, g- gay guys who kind of go and help not just straight others, like not just straight guys, but any men who are kind of single, in need married, of, uh, in a relationship. Yeah, and it's not just about how they look and their clothes and in, and their habits. It's more about. Just almost like they're like life coaches for them. How would they you say? Like it's all about like how they feel about themselves. Like yeah. The amount of times it seems to me that they come in and they're like, "Dude, 
here's how you can look after your skin because inevitably they're all worried about like their skin or here's how you can cut your hair and your beard and here's how you can look in a way that you want to look but you didn't feel or didn't know it's like like my mum taught me how to do a whole bunch of things to make sure that I'm taking care of myself like how to eat well how to look after my skin how to look after my hair and you know I feel like father figures often don't know how to teach that to their sons yeah well and, and in some of these cases um you know these guys uh, there's certainly a couple where like their you know their fathers have sadly passed away I mean, or yeah. you know they're just they're they're living kind of maybe slightly isolated lives or they're living very busy lives there's one where there's a guy who has um lots of children and um, multiple jobs and so in each episode um you know the fab five come along and they befriend these guys basically yeah basically yeah and you know live with them for a week and like learn about their life and and that's the other really nice thing is that you know they don't kind of come in and be like oh you should do this like you know you should now only shop at like prada or something you you should stop doing this they honestly they come in and they basically say to these guys like it's absolutely amazing they're like who are you tell us who you are that's great you like this will help you get more into that yeah so they give very different advice depending on the person and their circumstances yeah absolutely um which is really refreshing and very different from any other makeover reality show it's not really in the end a makeover show it's more being like you know how can we help you be who you want to be and they really focus on that i think when they come in they ask the hard questions they don't because then they have a week with them don't they so they don't muck around they come in and they're like why are you doing this like why is this here tell why what motivates you and they really like you know not tear open the guys lives a bit but they are a little bit like don't bullshit us tell us everything they do Um, but they do it on this really fun and engaging way as you say because they're fab and they they really are like a really interesting group of guys who bring to the table their own personal experiences yes (laughs) but um you know they're they've all become like iconic in uh, internet icons, especially yeah. a Jonathan. Yeah, so who's the hair guy? I has... think we should go through all of them. Oh, so what's fun about Queer Eye as much as, as much as it's amazing to see these guys open up and really get something out of it, that's all great. But also the key thing about it is who they've got as the Fab Five because I've seen sites that like rate them. I've seen people like you know subtweeting on Twitter being yeah. like, how much work do they really do? Who's more useful? Who's less useful? So I think what we should first talk about is Anthony, the food and wine guy. So, so <laughs> Anthony is ridiculously good looking. Without a doubt, the fittest model. I mean, they're all, all yeah. they're all like you know, well dressed, beautiful, yeah. yeah. Um, but Anthony's Anthony is sort of like could, gorgeous. Could be a, a movie star. He's beautiful. Yeah, he's really, really good looking, and is also really sort of. I mean, they're all really sensitive and sweet. But he's probably one of the quieter ones. Yeah. So at first, you're a bit like, oh, you don't really know like where what his his role is, what his character is. Mm. And then you realise that he always wears these like graphic T-shirts. Yeah. With like book quotes on and yeah. things like this. Like obviously, you can imagine that's like right up our street. Mm. Um, but. To focus on his role, food and wine expert, um, <laughs> he is going and helping a lot of guys who've like never don't cook at all. So it's possible that he does kind of cater to that market in that he's like aware that this person that he's helping 
isn't used to cooking, so he's not going to suddenly like whip up a three course meal. But the issue becomes or, is that, yeah, <laughs> it's possible that he just like actually can't cook. I feel like and he, he was hired because he was hot. Yeah, like, I feel like that's generally like what people think. People on Twitter were like, he's going to force someone to make like a lobster, like you know, thermidor, just to prove he can cook. Yeah, because like everyone else is doing things like rebooting their house, or like it's really their obvious hair. what they're doing. And yeah. Anthony's, and, they, and obviously it's all based around this one event at the end of the week, right? Where they try, they either they come out or they just invite friends over or they like reconnect with people which is all lovely Anthony's like let me show you how to make the perfect dish for this event and to be fair he only really has time to teach them one but like he could do more to be like here's how to shop so he, here's how to do this he's just like let me show you how to make one easy thing yeah you're so Done. right he could kind of be like oh this is the kind of things you should buy on your weekly shop but he, and also the things that he he cooks they don't get any better like he starts off with guacamole and you're like okay well I guess that does involve like some chopping and yeah. things. Yeah, like I mean, you you can you can get on board with good guac. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's actually. I remember the first time I watched it, being like, oh, that's actually really nice that he's not kind of suddenly tried to explain something really complicated, you know. And I could follow this recipe at home if I wanted to, type thing. But then the next one, he makes like hot dogs, and he literally buys like the hot dog sausage like from a shop, and then puts it in a grill. And it's like, yeah. I don't think this is revolutionary. No, and then like, he makes grilled cheese, and then he's like, here's how to make grilled cheese. Here's how to make a salad. But he's trying. <laughs> He says it. He he talks about it like he's Jamie Oliver, and the guy is <laughs> nodding like, and you're like, how much are they taking in? But to be fair, I think also the problem is is that it is a bit of a role which is hard. He which is hard to do quickly. You have to yeah. It, less, it's, it has to be less involved because it just in, has to in, be. In fairness, he he comes over really well. One of the guys that he um that that they help um is gay and is in a happy relationship but hasn't come out to his stepmom. Oh, the one with, the one with the harness. Yeah, yeah. I that one. And um, he, one of the things that he's sort of not sure about is how he should dress as a quote-unquote, like, stereotypical gay guy kind of thing. Like, he's, like he's a bit like Simon. Simon in Love, Simon. Yeah, he's sort of like, oh, does this mean I have to suddenly dress in, like, a, you know, flamboyant way or something? Like, and Anthony is like, hey, like, I just wear what I want. He, you doesn't, know, dress, like, he doesn't dress gay air quotes, does he really? Yeah, yeah. So... You know, he he does have an ability to relate to the guys as well. Like, but he just know. seems very useless. But otherwise. most of the time, he seems to be standing in the background, like with some avocados. Being like, wee! And like, do you follow him on Instagram? No, but he's very good looking. He just he's just a good looking man, isn't so he? So his Instagram is hilarious because basically he quite often cooks on it. Oh and sure, okay, cooking, Anthony, you can cook. He's just like posing, like basically naked, like yeah. holding an avocado, like yeah, classic Anthony. Yeah. So he's vaguely useless. Then we have Karamo. Yeah, so he is... Uh, the culture guy. The culture guy. But Slash I would, dating, basically. I would describe him more as, like, the legit life coach. Like, because he's Lifestyle, the one who yeah. has, like, the deep chats with the guys and gets the heart of, like, what's really they had a great. On. He had a really great... Um, I think that's what he really brings to it in lots of ways. Um, and he's always, like... He seems very, like... Like, the most real... He's, he's, like, the dad of the group. He seems like someone you could know. Yeah. You know, and would give you good advice. Yeah, and he does have good advice, and he does seem... You know, if someone pointed out he only wears satin bomber jackets. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. and he pulls them off very well. So. Yeah, and then he has a... You know, and also he's a, so he's African-American as well, and he has some great conversations um, about this and about the, the kind of status of black people in America. We're, like, a cop, and with a fellow... Um, like, other black people on the show as well. And I think that's, again, something he... Sees Seems to, I think, have deliberately tried to bring to the fore in the show as well to try and tackle more than just like gay stereotypes. It definitely, kind of as a show on the whole, does delve into like the state of political issues yeah. and the state of America at the moment. Like it's not just yeah. frothy because they're in like Georgia, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, um, and you know they are encountering some 
some of the people who they're interacting with are not uh, usually welcome, perhaps, to mm-hmm. gay But then culture. he and the cop have this lovely talk where, like, you know... Um, he's a great guy anyway, the cop as well. And then the cop kind of goes, well, yes, you're saying you're afraid of policemen and I understand that. Um, but equally, I don't want to be lumped in as one of these horrible, you know, uh, policemen who will shoot a black man on sight because I work very hard at my job, etc. And I know many great people. And they have this discussion where like, you know, Karamo kind of like says, okay, I, I completely accept that I'm being overly, not overly judgmental, but I'm afraid and therefore I'm closing myself off to you. And you, I don't need to do that because you're, you're not the stereotype, you know, but just like I'm not. Yeah. And I think it's really great because like that's a really hard topic to ha- topic to talk about, especially between two men. And I think they pull it off with a real like gravitas and also with a real sense of like, actually, we don't need to like get into a huge argument about this. We can have a civilized conversation and we can then just move past it. After yeah, there's definitely a, a sense of throughout the show of kind of people bridging divides. And, it, and it's not that they actually get each other totally on each other's side like so for example with the cop you know he has a make america great again hat yeah and they have um, to just be okay with it don't yeah they? and they and they have to kind of almost well they both kind of choose to accept that they know that they fundamentally disagree on some very important issues but in the end they can but still, they can get still along. connect as humans i mean i think there is a bit in that episode where like they one of the cops like jokingly pulls them over in the beginning oh well, which it's is so frightening yeah, yeah and everyone i think kind of agreed that that was a bit of a misstep and karamo was kind of like but i like they showed it because the Gay, the guys are all like okay ha 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 and you can see Karam is really shaken mm. and then halfway through he kind of goes like that wasn't cool at all but it happened and the you know the guy was honestly so well-meaning he just thought it would just be funny you know yeah it's it's definitely it brings to light some of those like very difficult conversations and but you never really see apart from in like the tabloids yeah and i don't think it by any means makes it seem as if it's easy or solves it at all but um it was it was an interesting. It seems like there's like a bridge. A, it seems like there's a bridge, and that's what anyway. Karamo brings like this real sense of like uh, reality and seriousness, and you know keeps a lid on some of the madness. But equally, and he's obviously a very intelligent man himself as well. So he just wanders around being like a great, like he's wise. A very, he's got a very calming presence <laughs> yeah. as well. So he, I think, he very much invites people to drop their guard and open up to him i think i would if i was in a car with him. oh sure i would so he's great and then we move on to oh jonathan's the next one i was thinking so jonathan i think is like the breakout star he, of the show. Oh, yeah he's because he's like he's just like he's just an icon, <laughs> an icon. He's, he is like so at, at first i wasn't sure what to make of him because he seemed like stupid and a bit he's, weird he's he's really really full-on really in, full-on and, and it seems a bit like he's putting on an act um because he's like gay like like the stereotypical kind of gay that like queer I might have had in the noughties, you know. Mm-hmm. He's always very excited um, and about everything, and uh, yeah, just like very and has so- a long luscious hair, and like he goes like yes, queen, daddy, and you're like I love it. It's very like aesthetic, but, but I think you you realise as as the as you get to know him better when you're watching the series that. That is just genuinely like who he is, and, and he enjoys he, that persona he is as well, like doesn't he? An unapologetic lover of life, yeah, and absolutely. Wants to bring that out of everybody, and he is so sweet to every all of the guys, but also their families, and mm. you know, he, he generally he, just like sees the best in everyone and he, loves them. Yeah, and he just wants to like. 
you know, and he really, and like, it's like when he, um, when he doesn't feel comfortable doing someone's hair, for example, because he normally does their hair, but when he doesn't feel comfortable or know, or think that he knows how to do it, he like stands there and has someone who's an expert do it. Yeah, and then goes yeah. like, yes, this is absolutely perfect. And then he talks through them, like, he talks through with them in a really non-patronizing way about how to like, yeah, do right. their skin. It's completely and not patronizing. He just honestly just wants the best, doesn't he? Because obviously he is like a grooming expert. And, and he definitely, you know, I will say, Anthony is like, mm, he is definitely an expert. Oh yeah, he obviously knows what he's doing. And he'll be talking to a guy who's probably never used any moisturizer or anything about it in any way, yeah. And he's basically telling him how to kind of get rid of any redness on his skin. But he says it in such a kind, caring, and compassionate, mm. and just also matter-of-fact way. That like, I feel like if he was talking to me, and he basically was saying that I had some like skin that I wasn't like looking after well... I would like totally take it, whereas like, I feel yeah, like okay. from that could end up sounding like, oh, I know more than you. Yeah, you know, like you don't I, understand. I think what you're like doing his or... mannerisms are so open and friendly and like funny that he kind of he kind of like makes you agree with him in a way that you don't really realise that you're being persuaded until you're like, oh no, I agree with him. <laughs> Which is really he's a tact he's like tact king. And also he's honestly, I think he's really honestly hilarious. He's the funniest of oh, them so funny, by yeah. a mile. But I think it is also like he seems really kind. So I it's not so. like he's being funny in order to like make fun. And I think that's something that the show could definitely have fallen into a trap of, of actually making fun of the men that they're making over. Because they never do. They any never do at all. No. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's great. He's great. And I then... don't think just like I adore him. And he keeps like going on to like, you know, huge, like um, cosmopolitan channels and being like, here's how to do your hair. And he has his amazing hair that's better than he mine. He does have and... amazing hair. Or he like... I feel like he has like a really interesting life, like like a Jeffrey Star who Apparently is. Apparently, he does like a Game of Thrones recap show. Of course, he does because he's also a comedian. Yeah, honestly, he's so he's honestly such an interesting. Inter- I would love to be friends with him. I want to be friends with him. I mm. think the world does. Yeah, and um, then we have Tan. Tan is the British uh, expert. Like, also, he's British. Fully, he is like so snappy, like best dressed. Obviously, oh, he's yeah. in charge so of he dressing. He is in charge of clothing, um, and. He's, I mean, they're all, they all come over really well, but he's also, I think, got a really kind of warm, warmness to him in terms of when he's speaking to them, because he doesn't try and force them to wear things that they would never wear. I really like the episode where he takes the, yeah, he takes the guy to Target and he's like, oh, you should shop at Target because the guy who he's helping is, doesn't have a lot of money Mm. and it would be not feasible for him to go at somewhere else. Yeah. Or he gets the tall, um, the tall guy who wants to like get back together with his ex-wife, like a custom suit. And then is like, hey... Because obviously this guy's going to want control and want to have a sense of how he should do his own suit. So he brings out the stuff and is like, right, look at the colour of the suit. I want you to go and pick a pocket square that's going to look good. Yeah, so the, that's you know, really nice, that bit. And yeah. like, the, you know, and the guy has, the guy has a sense of like he chose and he chooses something which is like absolutely fine. He probably could have made a huge mistake. And then Tan's like, yes, perfect. I love it. That's wonderful. And it's like... Yeah, so it's boosting ugh. their confidence as well, which they all do that, which I think is really nice. Mm. Um, but yeah, like... I think Tan is just like he's such a wise owl. Yeah, like Karamo is like Karamo's one wise. Tan's like a different wise, and they complement each other really well. Like Tan will go into their cupboard and come out and be like, they've had this amazing emotional discussion. Like the guy like who lost his dad, and yeah. Tang's into the cupboard with him for literally a second, and then the guy's really opening up to him because I think mean, he's just one of those people that's just like, tell me your problems and I will fix them, and you're just like, ugh. Oh. I also think the chemistry between the five guys 
It's really good. It's, and you can tell it's real. You can tell they really respect one another and respect oh. one another's talents and um, where they're coming from. So I also like that he's British. Um, Represent. And But also it's like at no point do they kind of make a big deal about him being British. And it, yeah. you know. Well, it's really cool. He talks about his like Pakistani heritage with an, um, an Indian guy they yeah, have on yeah, the show does. as well. Which is like a connection that like... I think each episode, one of them in particular makes a particular connection with yeah, the guy on a level that they can connect with. Like Cramo and the policeman actually by kind of like shared political problems, I guess. Mm. But And, you know, Tan and the guy have this connection about like the, the pressure of family and being gay in a family, being gay in a culture where like marrying a woman is very important and the importance of like family and yeah. like tradition. Um, and then I was sitting there being like, I could not get this guy I could not understand the problems this guy's facing but Tan completely can because he looked at him and he was like right I understand it completely because I've been through it myself yeah, and yeah. I think and that guy it was really and they weren't you know that guy wasn't even gay and it was just like oh it's so cool as well I love Tan he just connects with people and I'm like Argh. And then we should finally Bobby Bobby and I think Paul Design Bobby guy. is the one who gets the least love but does an incredible job. So, yeah, so he literally yeah. transforms their, their house or their flat or their basement or whatever it is into a space that's useful for them. Yeah. yeah. And allegedly does it in a week. I mean, I think apparently I have read interviews about this and apparently he'll get a bit more information before they go. Yeah. So he can start planning, but he still essentially does the bulk well, of it. It, it makes really sense as to why they're staying in Atlanta. Cause I feel like had it just been the four without the house stuff they can move around a lot more but if he's in the one city with that apartment they seem to stay in for the whole duration of the yeah. of the show makes it far easier for him to talk to contractors and do all the stuff behind the scenes that you know fine if it was an extreme home makeover you would see the whole thing from start to finish but this is why Bobby I feel also isn't in it as much because he spends his whole time like trying to design and deal with their house yeah yeah so he's kind of doing and he I mean all his interiors are very enviable like you want to live there um but he does also have an episode where he has a particular bond with one of the guys which mm. is the guy who's very religious sure and bobby says that he came from like a re- had a religious upbringing and, and now has a quite a kind of conflicted view another connection oh, yeah like a conflicted view on the church because um, and this is christianity isn't it yeah yeah um that he has a sort of conflicted view because he feels as though he has faith but it's not he's not always welcomed yeah. um and it's really nice because the guy who he interacts with who he's who he's helping is like is like you know a lot of people think that uh you know christians aren't welcome to gay people but that's not true and like i'm you know really glad to have you in my home and it's like again it's this kind of moment of bonding in a maybe somewhat unlikely place or well just showing people that these divisions that all you see is divisions all the time and this show basically like the the redneck, the, he, he like he sees himself as like a, a you know a redneck in terms of like he has this huge beard and he lives in the deep south and he makes redneck margaritas. <laughs> this first guy they ever go to, and I was like, what? Like, how can they make him over? And they establish a connection with him, and he's a really emotional, sweet guy who yeah. like loves his daughter and his grandson and miss and really wants to see his ex wife again and all this kind of thing. And you're like oh wow like these people that you see as caricatures especially over in America and we're English and they're men and then caricatures you know all this kind of thing mm. it really helps to break them down and be like all the people and then they connect Christian gay you know black man white cop you know uh, gay person straight person like they connect in a way that you doesn't you never ever see and then actually it's really easy it always goes really smoothly and you're like oh so really these divisions that you see actually exist for a lot of people I think but less people than you think and I think also actually 
having you rarely have an opportunity to break down those barriers and mm. properly get to know somebody with whom you think you have nothing in common or you think yeah, you absolutely. have a very different background to yeah. because you don't you rarely get to that point whereas in this show they really as you say they really go, they go for it yeah um so yeah i think they all bring something to the table and it, it's just a really sweet show and i think if you haven't seen it yet i would fully recommend oh, it do get a glass and, of wine and just enjoy the fact that jonathan is on this earth but i feel like you know i had not like forced you to watch it but i had to like encourage you you to were watch like it. no seriously and i yeah. i kind of like i haven't watched all of it to be fair because i kind of like watched a bit of it and then put it down the way again but even like four episodes that i've watched have been enough for me to understand like what a gem of a show yeah oh it's so tactfully done as well like, and netflix could have murdered it and they really did a great oh, job yeah and i can see why people would be like well why would i watch this like makeover show like it's not by gay guys you know like it sounds like it's go- it sounds like it's gonna lean into stereotypes that are outdated or something like that but but that's the point it's it knows it that they yeah. are outdated and starts being like right so we've given you the gay stereotypes the things that like in the first queer eye for the straight guy you were saying that they were being not stereotypically gay but like the gayness of them was one of the points because it was being like making them more visible in the media and now it's being like well there are lots of different kinds of gay people there are lots of different kinds of men everyone's experience is different we're now going to start being like gay men are mostly accepted and visible now we're going to start being like here's who they actually are and here is who everyone else who's man is yeah So there's been a lot of news recently about uh, shows that have been either cancelled or confirmed for a you know new series, yeah. or in some cases multiple series. And in the you know in the section that we like to have at this end of the episode of what we're looking forward to, there is plenty of stuff that we're now really going to get to look forward to because they've been announced. Absolutely. So in um, not I would say particularly surprising, but certainly exciting news, we have. Outlander has been renewed for two more seasons. So we have three more years of... I tweeted about this on, on yeah, the Yeah, so yeah. they're currently working on season four, uh, which is apparently November. <gasps> yeah. I'm so excited. Oh and then gosh. they're actually having a nine-month shooting break between filming uh, season four when season four ends. I guess maybe we'll end in the summer and then season five starting. Well, if you imagine that, you know, Sam Hewan must have been chock-a-block with doing The Spy Who Dumped Me and season three and yeah, four around. Yeah, well, it's an interesting choice because it obviously does allow the actors to potentially film a, a movie up, yeah. um, if they want to. So I think that's cool because we'll get to see them do more stuff. Uh, and like you say, more years of Outlander. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, obviously really exciting. Um, they're actually, they're currently filming Stranger Things series three which is meant to be out maybe early 2019 yeah I, i've seen a couple of like pictures online of like the cast you know like in the hanging know, out yeah. yeah which is kind of cool. absolutely so those two i mean it's really great that these two those two shows have been picked up for longer and they i think they're pretty sure the creators of um stranger things that they're going to get another two seasons oh, i'm sure and, like, so and they were talking about it and they're basically being like yeah really interested in following the tale of these the tale of his kids and it's going to be set a year later and Mike and Lem are definitely going to be together and all that kind of thing so I think it's going to be great if we get to see them all the way up to like 17 yeah um, and actually it's going to be a real opportunity to see them grow through a story in like a Harry Potter yeah like, way. I remember I think actually right when the first series came out they said that they were kind of thinking of it in a Harry Potter type way like, so having yeah. to do it each year 
um, which I think works really well. People enjoy that. Yeah, particularly since I'd love to see a Michael and Levin like more mature relationship, but not from fourteen-year-old actors. No, I'm happy with like eighteen-year-old actors. Um, so that's gonna be great because that's a show which I really, I think I would enjoy, even if it got a bit like weird or like not as good. Yeah. Um, what I was looking forward to, Brooklyn Nine-Nine has been renewed. So that was like a whole oh, saga. Wasn't relief it? as so well. It got cancelled um, by Fox. Um, Obviously, a lot of these kind of networks, we know what they are in the UK, but, like, it's a bit different because we just don't have the same ones. So often, like, we, you know, something shown on Fox, but we don't watch it on Fox in the UK. Oh, no, Brooklyn Nine-Nine I watch on Netflix. Yeah, so it's kind of, can be a bit alien sometimes when you hear that the shows are potentially at risk. You're like, oh, I thought it was a Netflix show, you know. Um, But, yeah, apparently it never really had, like, crazy great ratings, which isn't surprising in some ways. But Tom Ellis from Lucifer, which has also gotten cancelled, best surprise because it's they, they think it might get picked up by somebody else and that one streams on Amazon in the yeah. UK um, the problem is for these shows isn't it that he noted that fine in the US they might not get huge ratings on TV but he said people will find ways to watch the show if they want to and I know it has a huge following in the UK as does Lucifer because apparently the outpouring for support for Lucifer has been the same mm. um, and you know I never watch TV on, on TV when anymore on the... I either watch it on Netflix or Amazon to be honest with you so the fact that the network couldn't really see that the show was popular and could be sold in other territories on these streaming services and didn't value it that much meant it was just the easy pickings for NBC yeah it's interesting yeah it's it's one of those things where I think it is like another world we don't really have the same kind of system in the UK because you've got like the BBC or Channel 4 who like might make a show but it's always like very like low key well and you, you can know. access and because ITV it's, well, it's ITV Channel 4 um, someone like Dave, BBC, they all have uh, online players as well. So we can access any show that you like, you know, on demand. So yeah. the ratings come from there as well? Actually, the only example I can think of, of a, I'm sure there might be more, of a British show that got picked up by Netflix was Lovesick, which I've talked about before. Yeah, sure. Um, because that was a Channel 4 show. Um, and then it got like put on Netflix and it was really, really popular amongst a Netflix viewership and viewership in America. So the Netflix would like took it over. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, you know, uh, perhaps an anomaly, but most of the time it's yeah. only happened in the UK. I think in the global world, you really need to realise if you're a TV. I mean, I'm not a TV production executive, so I don't know, but I think you need to take into account the fact that people will watch your show in a way that you can't measure. So you have to look for other ways to define how well it's doing or... Because you can't, and you can't just get revenue from advertising on TV. You have to look at new revenue streams. That's why Netflix does so well because the revenue streams come from different ways. Yeah. And subscription rather than advertising. So the problem with the Brooklyn Nine-Nine, for example, is it might not have been getting the watches that Fox were hoping for, but it did have the audience support in a way that makes it interesting enough to keep want for actually to be worth keeping. Yeah. Which they didn't see, and I'm like, well, it just proves to me in my in my head that Fox actually just don't. Well, it's interesting that obviously that's something that, that shows now can take advantage of mm. is, is having this like online audience. Like mm. the idea of Americans watching a show like Lovesick, you know, they would never have come across it otherwise, you mm. know, or if it did, it would be very like particular niche subsection of the audience who happened to like yeah, watching British absolutely. shows. Um, you know, I remember reading that with Parks and Rec that every single season they thought it was going to be their last because they knew that they never got like crazy good ratings, which in retrospect it seems so bizarre because like probably most people I know have seen Parks and Rec it's such a popular show well it's it's like you know they must get a lot of money from Amazon because Amazon will have to pay NBC whenever they get someone watching it and yeah. everyone I know has watched it like, yeah. it's, a, it's like internetly it's iconic on the internet exactly but I I guess that's also like things can be kind of as 
comedies like that exist after they've finished. I mean, think Parks and Rec started in like 2008. Oh, wow. Which is really weird. And finished in like, I'm not entirely sure, but like... 2015, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it was definitely like, it started much earlier than you think it did. And it probably wasn't that popular in a worldwide way at first but then with the you know like you say with Amazon and I think it's true on Netflix in the US um, so those are ways in which people can access shows where they don't have to sit down at 9pm yeah. on a Thursday you know in the end like having ex stars have their stars players so you can watch their shows on demand and then they have it on Amazon here yeah. which must work really well for them because actually I think people don't watch prime time I anymore mean, they do have on demand services in it for those channels as well in the US mm. um but I obviously don't know how popular they are. And I guess with on-demand channels, you can't really measure it uh, that way either. Yeah, so. I think definitely that TV... I mean, I won't hit on Netflix or Amazon at all because I think they've done... They've revitalised the TV industry in a way that like it really needs to be revitalised. They provide access to TV shows in a way that I wish we had more of. And I'm not completely enamoured of Netflix. Amazon I like more in this way. But I'm enamoured of Netflix moving towards only their own content. I understand it's difficult for them because people don't want to host their stuff on their services or they could stream on their own, like Disney, yeah. for example. But equally, I think their service and their platform is so leagues ahead of what, of what was out there before. And their market share is so great that I'd like to see more TV that's not their own on their site. Like Amazon, Amazon gives you the access to just like rent a film or rent an episode of a of a television yeah, yeah, series which actually makes it more accessible because I can actually get to something for a cheap price um, without you know and all, all the shows I watch don't stream on English TV as far as I know I mean apart from Game of Thrones or if they do it's like far behind you know like Outlander for example is now sort of on channel four or something but like you know it's not it's like several series yeah behind, and the big so. bang theory like, if i wanted to watch that i'd never know when series 12 was you know when it was going to be on the season that i wanted to watch so in the end i can't hate on them because I think they're doing a great service and i know it's interesting yeah. because in my mind i'm always like oh yeah netflix just pick up anything not pick up anything but pick up anything that's been reasonably popular to show um, yeah. yeah you know because they might as well you know because they just have this like in my mind this unlimited budget which obviously isn't true um but there was one show that i didn't actually realize had been cancelled but i saw um, when people were talking about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I saw it being raised, which is a show called Everything Sucks, which I watched. Oh, um, yeah, that one. That was Netflix, it's right? Like a, yeah, it's like a teen, like teens at a high school. It's basically like Stranger Things, but without the monsters. Yeah. Um, and that got cancelled. Obviously, I have no idea. Actually, I don't know anyone else who watched it except for me and my parents. Yeah. Like, that's in my own kind of, you know, circle. Really. Um, but clearly, it did have, like, a reasonably popular internet following. Um, but yeah, apparently, they cancelled that. So maybe they do... I guess they are pickier than we perhaps think. No. Yeah, or no. Like they obviously must have their reasons for why they make these decisions. But Yeah. But essentially... Oh, and Paul Dart's coming back? Yeah. Very soon. But yeah. I mean, I'm surprised it hasn't already come back, actually. I thought it was like coming back like now. Oh, but, I'll have to check. Because but, yeah, I, summer anyway. Yeah, so that'll be... We'll definitely talk about that because I, I don't intend to watch the rest of season four. That was just on. What? Three. Three. Yeah. I'm not going to watch it because I think it just got boring. But I am going to watch the new series and see where they go with it. I'm just going to have to like catch up on like with the wiki or something and see what happened because I don't really care that much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, oh, apparently Aiden Turner is uh, allegedly, according to a news headline that I saw, engaged to a 24-year-old graduate. Oh. You know who else is a 24 graduate? Us. us. That could have been us. us. <laughs> and now that was the uh, breaking news. <laughs> yeah. breaking Aiden's right here no um, so yeah essentially that's kind of long term what we really have to look forward to for the podcast and for our own lives lots of new shows uh, or or returning 
new series of returning shows coming yeah. soon. It's going to be a bit dry until the end of the summer, but oh, then Strictly's going to come back, and I'm going to be happy. So, love Strictly. I mean, I'll be on Strictly. Well, let us know what you think about these uh, renewals, and if there's anything that you like really love that that got cancelled, or that you are really hoping will get picked up by somebody else, or yeah, uh, yeah, whatever else your opinions are about. Like, uh, you know, we are in peak TV era, so uh, yeah, and the yeah, and the yeah, peak TV returning season. Like, you know, soon enough, everything's going to be back. Yeah. So yeah. it's. I find there's so much TV out there. It's hard to know what to As, watch. But... Uh, in the new Arctic Monkeys album, there is a line which is "Everybody's on a barge, floating down the endless stream of great TV." That's nice. Yeah, but it's kind of like imply you know the implication of like how we are always trying to keep up with like the you know yeah, that's really true. whatever is told. In us the end, all I care thing. about is Brooklyn Nine Nine, um, The Office US, Parks and Rec and uh, Outlander and Stranger Things those are the ones I really follow in any shape or form when they were on or when they weren't on yeah, yeah. anyone else I'll really I really will watch like day in day out I'm gonna, I'm gonna binge Stranger Things in one night like I did last time so that's <laughs> gonna happen I love that format I wish I wish more shows would do it I wish Outlander would do it can Except, you imagine though it would be, it'd be like an emotional rollercoaster yeah. wouldn't it I'm very excited for that it's gonna be a great season but we'll have to just wait and you will have to wait to hear us talk about it until it comes out all right, well, we'll wrap up there and, um, yeah, let, like, get in touch with us. Yeah, oh, you can follow us on all our social medias. We have Loves, Labours, No, at Real LLW on Twitter. Twitter. We also have our personal Twitters on there if you want to see what we've been talking about. Um, Loves, Labours, Watch at gmail.com is our email. And Loves, Labours, Watch is our Instagram. It is. It is indeed. So follow us on one of those platforms and you can rate, review and subscribe on iTunes um, if that's your jam. And we will now see into our ending. Goodbye, (laughs) everybody. (laughs)